Coast Church, Charlotte. Praise the Lord, everyone. Oh, come on now. Praise the Lord, everyone. I'm preaching today from this subject, protective custody. Protective custody. And I want to, if at all possible, I want to open the word of the Lord in such a manner where you are filled with hope, you are filled with a sense of divine trust. How many of you know God is in control of everything? Does anybody have anything that it's easy for you to worry about? All right, so I want to talk to the worry warts or the folks in trouble. God's got everything in control. And I believe before you leave here today, you can find a whole new level of confidence in God. You can find a whole new level of divine presence in your life. And the promises of God can become very real and rich in your heart and in your life. And so uh, we're going to go ahead and get into the scripture today. Happy July 4th weekend to all of you. I hope you have fun things planned and you do something very exciting that involves fireworks and gunpowder or something like that. Just kidding. Uh, just don't do it at midnight by my house, okay? Uh, so when, at my age, we go to bed early. You know what I'm saying? Protective custody. How many of you have a testimony in your life of something that God has done for you, a specific time and place where God made a difference in your life? Raise your hand all across the house. How many of you know that he is a protector? Lord, I want to thank you for every time you've protected us. I want to thank you for every time you have kept us from the evil one. You have kept us from danger. You have kept us from temptation. Lord Jesus, you are our protector. And if we make it, it's not going to be our strength. It's going to be your great gift of grace and mercy in our life, whereby we become partakers of your divine nature and spend eternity with you. And can some church folks say amen? I, I love to hear stories of God's protection. I do. I have testimonies in my life of how God has protected me. And I also have uh, stories from other people of tremendous interventions of God where he really did what you could not do. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you were in a, a car and you thought you were about to be in an accident and you or somebody else cried, Jesus, and it seemed to work out okay? Any testimonies like that? Uh, how many of you have ever been in a hospital waiting room waiting to hear uh, a report and you were calling on the name of the Lord and the Lord was there and you got a good report when you expected a bad report? Raise your hand all over the house. God is our protector. When we use the term uh, protective custody in the manner of our speech and when we talk about it in our, our culture, our generation, uh, we're usually referring to somebody who is uh, placed in some type of confinement or separation from others, uh, either voluntarily or involuntarily by an authority to protect them in some way. Um, many people, uh, because of difficulties in their mind, their emotional state, 
they actually can get to a point where they are a danger to themselves. And when that happens, oftentimes uh, health uh, uh, administration and institutions will place them in a protective custody, uh, even involuntarily, because they are a threat in some way to themselves. So we, when we use the term protective custody, we're very comfortable with thinking of it as uh, voluntary or involuntary. However, when I say that uh, God has us all in protective custody, I want to be clear that there really is no involuntary protective custody in God. You have to place yourself in his hands. Let me say that again. You have to choose to place your life in his hands. You have to quit trying to be enough for yourself. And you have to start lifting your eyes heavenward and saying, God, I need your protection in my life. I need you to keep me. I need you to make a way. Lord, we are only protected when you protect us, oh God. We can never protect ourselves. We don't even know where to start, but God, you are our protector. You save us from the evil one. You spare us from the uh, sickness and and the struggle and the fears and the wrestling uh, that we live through, and we praise you for it today. Uh, Amen. And so uh, protective custody in God is always voluntary. You can lean to your own strength or you can trust in the keeping and the care of God. Uh, You can try to solve it yourself or you can call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, We, all of us have probably, I think it's fair to say we all of us have done it both ways, (laughs) where we tried to be our own safety net and we conversely called upon the name of the Lord for his protection. Uh, The difficulty for us, however, is we know uh, how to deal with a praise story uh, when God has done something dramatic for us and has saved us, has protected us. And I just want to say, you will, you will never enjoy worshiping God so much as when you have a testimony of how God protected you. I said, you'll never praise God so vigorously, so joyfully as when God has made a difference in your life. I want to tell you a, a local testimony. Uh, so, some of you guys haven't uh, met uh, the Martins yet, but this is Chris Martin. So wave your hand at me, Chris. This is Chris. That's his wife, Bethany. Uh, they've been coming to our church for a while now, and uh, he had a tremendous testimony, uh, which I want to share with you because it's his testimony, uh, and it's really not about him. It's about God. That's the thing I want you to see. Um, he, he had a situation happen here recently, and um, he was driving, and, you know, driving is his own special frustration. Can I get a witness? Um, so if you're driving and you get frustrated, just, just, just take your medicine. Just bear it. Uh, your frustration isn't special. The other people are frustrated too. So <laughs> he had a situation where there was a road rage incident uh, where he was driving, and a guy got out of his car with a gun and started shooting into the truck that Chris was driving. And uh, he 
sent me pictures of it. You can see bullet holes in the, in the window shield. And of course, you can imagine the police nowadays with all the active shooters, you take that gun out now, you get, you know, the whole police force shows up. And so they all, uh, as they should, they, they, they show up. The crime scene uh, techs are there. And uh, he's there talking to the crime scene techs. And basically, if I tell this correctly, I'll, I'll give you the way I understand it. At some point in the investigation, the, the, the crime scene technicians were talking to Chris and uh, they said, look, uh, we can see where the angle of the bullets came in and we can see how the bullets came through the windshield and we can see where the bullets hit the car seat. But what we want to know is why are you not shot? How did the bullets not hit you? When they came through the windshield and went into your car seat, were you sitting here? Yes. Well, then why aren't you shot? I want to tell you, if God... You see, there's no praise. There's no praise like God making a way where there was no other way. By the grace of God, I should be in the hospital. But by the grace of God, I should be in a cemetery. But by the grace of God, I should be in some uh, sick room right now. But God made a way, and just in the nick of time. Somebody, somebody said, somebody said, did the bullets come through the windshield, then uh, dissolve, and then uh, go like around you, and then come back together, and then go into the car seat? How are you not shot? I'm going to tell you how. God is a protector. And God will protect you, and God will keep you. Let me give you probably the most beautiful passage in all the Word of God about how he is a protector. And this is Psalm 91. And the interesting thing about Psalm 91 is we actually don't know who wrote Psalm 91. It is called an orphan psalm by the scholars. Some people think it was David. Some people think it was Moses. No one knows for sure. Furthermore, uh, when they do uh, style and structure studies, it doesn't obviously fit with other psalms where it could be grouped together uh, with a common voice or a common pen or a common style. Uh, it exists kind of as a standalone psalm uh, that speaks to this truth. God is a protector and God will keep us and protect us. So I want to, I want to read this uh, psalm and share it uh, with you. Um, this is verse number one, Psalms 91. He who lives in the safe place of the Most High will be in the shadow of the all-powerful. I will say to the Lord, you are my safe and strong place, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who takes you away from the trap. Thank you, Lord. And from the killing sickness. Thank you, Lord. He will cover you with his wings, and under his wings you will be safe. He is faithful like a safe covering and a strong wall. You will not be afraid of trouble at night or of the arrow that flies by day. You will not be afraid of the sickness that walks in darkness, nor of the trouble that destroys at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. 
you will only look on with your eyes and see how the sinful are punished because you have made the Lord your safe place and the most high, the place where you live. Nothing will hurt you. No trouble will come near your tent for he will tell his angels to care for you and keep you in all your ways. They will hold you up in their hands so your feet will not hit against a stone. You will walk upon the lion and the snake. You will crush under your feet the young lion and the snake. That's verse 13. There is a tone change that happens at verse number 14. And the text goes from future tense promise to present tense prophecy from future tense to present tense and more because verses 14 through 16 are what they call messianic prophecies. They are written hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus Christ, but they speak of Jesus Christ and they are messianic. It is as though up till now, God has been speaking to you in the tone and the voice of promise. God's going to keep you. God's going to strengthen you. God is going to make a way for you. And all of a sudden, it speaks to a prophetic future and a present word. And it says, because he has loved me, I will bring him out of trouble. I will set him in a safe place on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will take him out of trouble and honor him. I will please him with the long life and I will show him my saving power. God has given all of us promises that speak of what God will, will, will do for us. But there comes a moment when it's time to call on the name of Jesus right now. It's time to call on the name of the Lord right now. And then it turns from uh, promise into prophecy. This isn't just what God said he would do. This is what God is doing right now. I want to speak to some of you who are allowing circumstances in your life to fill you with fear. It isn't just a promise. I want you to know in the here and now, God's working on your behalf. This Sunday, this July 4th weekend, God is doing what God said he would do. You need to let your faith begin to rise within you in this house. You need to begin to say, God, I am going to be made safe by your presence, by your word, and by your power, and can I have some Holy Ghost agreement in this house right now? And so all of us love the story of the explicable, the easily understandable, the obvious deliverance, like the testimony I gave of Chris and the obvious deliverance of the Lord. Let me uh, give two similar stories in my life of, uh, that I think will help make the point. Um, I uh, was diagnosed at 29 with um, lymphoma, and I prayed earnestly for healing, and and I kept the faith and kept my hopes high all through all the tests. Uh, I, there was a, several weeks where I prayed that I would have cat scratch fever. I didn't have a cat. I didn't want to be scratched, but it was better than cancer. And maybe they think you got cat scratch fever, and that's why your lymph nodes are blowing up all over your body, et cetera, et cetera. And I prayed. I earnestly believed. I fasted. Other people prayed. Other people earnestly believed. But you know what? 
The Lord decided not to deliver me from cancer, but to take my hand through cancer. And he brought a work of healing in my life, even though it was not in a moment. And I want us all to see that some of the works of God can happen in a dramatic moment. Somebody say yes. And sometimes they are a work of divine progress, but they are both worthy of testimony. And in both cases, God keeps us. God protects us. So whether or not you are delivered in a moment or whether you go through the valley of the shadow of death, I want you to know you're not alone in the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes it's not the miracle that's the testimony. It's the presence of God that is the testimony. In the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. It's a miracle to me. I didn't expect to feel peace in the middle of my trouble, but God is with me. So I went through chemo. The Lord was with me. He corrected in my body that which was going wrong. And he did a work of healing, even if it was not the kind of instantaneous healing that causes us to have a certain kind of praise and worship moment, which is a good thing. We need, however, to make sure we're not qualifying the works of God and only praising him when we approve of what he has done. He deserves praise whether or not it took one minute or one year. He's still the God who was above all. I'm not qualifying my praise for God. I've come to tell you today, Lord, you've been better to me than I ever imagined or deserved or dreamt of, and I'm going to praise you for it. Now, 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 a few years later, uh, my little girl uh, had a huge mass growing on her neck. We took her immediately, as soon as we noticed it, we took her in for checking. And the doctor, um, he, he basically set us down and said, look, uh, we can see this is growing right out of her jawbone. It's, uh, you guys need to prepare yourselves for the fact that she has a, a tumor growing out of her jawbone, which is going to be uh, carcinoma, uh, a bone cancer type carcinoma situation. And um, you guys need to prepare yourself for this. And we uh, were, uh, at least emotionally, that was, it was just, it was devastating. And we didn't know what to do uh, other than trust in God and pray. And we were praying and many of you guys were praying. And um, we went up here to, uh, they finally did the, the biopsy where they went in to check it. And um, the, I'll never forget waiting. And I just, I'm, I'm, you know, putting on a strong face because that's what we all do. We, we act like we're fine when we're not, you know, and uh, that's just what we do. And I'll never forget when the surgeon came out and met with us. And uh, uh, he, he, <laughs> funny story, he, he told about how uh, he had actually, it was not, it was benign. It wasn't coming out of the bone. Um, and it, he was able literally just to peel it right off the bone. And she did not have cancer. And in one surgery, she was completely fine. And we went from a quote unquote, you need to prepare yourself for your little girl having bone cancer to, oh, no big deal. We just took it out. Wow. <laughs> 
Um, I'll never forget. I'll never forget that um, <laughs> I had injured my back not long before that, and so I had I had spasms. And if you've ever had back injury, you know how those involuntary muscles create back spasms. And when the doctor told me that it was not, it was that she did not have cancer. My whole core, which was the spasm, went into a continuous spasm. It's just like the relief was so great, my involuntary muscle systems could not even take it. And I just went into a spasm. I literally, literally had to drop to the floor because the spasm, it all was like, I, I, I don't know, it was the opposite. You think you'd get relief, and it was the best possible kind of relief. And uh, now I want to ask you this question. So I've given you two stories in our life. Uh, one was the, 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 the process of God bringing you through, and the other is the miraculous moment. And then I want to, I want to, uh, I want to have you consider this as a real theological question that you have to settle in your heart and in your life. You need to take this seriously because if you do not settle this issue in your heart, this will always be a stumbling block to you. Was God with me when the miracle happened in a moment and the tumor literally just peeled away and was dropped in the trash, so to speak? And was God not with me when I didn't have cat scratch fever, but instead I had lymphoma and I had to do six months of chemotherapy? Was God protecting me one time and not protecting me the other time? Do we only perceive the protection of God when it works out a certain way and we have the testimonial story? I, wanna, I want to say this because the Bible, I, I want to preach this, I want to teach this because the Bible has a lot to say about this very thing. If you live long enough, all of us will face fear. If you live long enough, all of us will face sickness. All of us will face danger. All of us will be the one in the automobile that's going the wrong way, and you're crying, Jesus, and at the last moment, you avoid the other cars, and you're okay. Or if you live long enough, you might be in a car that is in the same situation, but instead of missing, you actually do have an accident, and you do actually go through the valley of the shadow of death. Here is an important foundational issue for you to see if you're going to be a person of faith, if you're going to live with testimony. Let me say it to this side. If you're going to live with testimony, if, if you don't have a way to turn away from the fear of a bad outcome, then you will struggle to have a testimony of faith. And nothing kills testimony like a life of fear. So stay with me. Watch this. Two stories. One went bad. One went good. So uh, if you were to go to Psalms 91 and you would ask yourself, okay, uh, let's look in around this neighborhood. Does God have anything else to say on this subject? And I would have to say, yes, the Lord actually does have something else to say on the subject. Uh, the Psalms 91 has a neighbor. Uh, you may, this may be theologically deep. It might be difficult for you to get this, but the neighbor of Psalms 91 is Psalms 90. <laughs> Okay, well, I thought it was funny. Anyway, so <laughs> the neighbor of Psalms 90, they, they live right beside each other, but they're total opposites. What's Psalms 91? God's going to protect you. Psalms 91, nothing's going to get you. The arrow that flies by day 
safe. The sickness that comes in darkness, safe. Everything's going to be a good. If you were to go to church or a Bible study over at Psalms 91 house, it'd be like this. He's an on time God. Oh, yes, he is. Now, if you go to Psalms 90 for a Bible study, they're not singing on time God. Psalms 90, the theme of the Bible study is, you better get right, you're probably going to die. <laughs> Seriously, Psalms 91, if you go to that house, it's like, victory is mine, <laughs> victory is mine. Over at Psalms 90, <clears throat> Jesus, Jesus. I'm going to give you some Psalms 90. You ready for some Psalms 90? Okay, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, before you formed the earth and the world, everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Verse number three, you turn man to destruction. <laughs> Somebody say that's depressing. Thank you very much. I'm getting more involvement from this side. I appreciate it. You guys are like, that's too close to the truth. I can't say it. <laughs> Um, uh, you turn man to destruction and say, and say, return, old children of men. A thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it was passed. A watch of the night, you carry them away. Who? People like a flood. They're like a sleep. In the morning, they're like grass which grows up. And guess what? Then the lawnmower comes. And my life is cut down. In the morning, I flourish and grow up. In the evening, I cut down and wither. You see what's going on? Let's drop down to verse number <clears throat> number nine. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. I mean, come on, just shoot me already. Our day, the days of our life are 70 years. <laughs> and if by reason of strength they are 80, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Two houses. One, I'm protected. God's on my side. They're not going to get me. The devil tried. It's all good. The other house, dying soon. Don't know when. <laughs> you want to go to the lake? No, I could drown. <laughs> Next door, they're like, I'm protected. I'm protected. God, be a fence all around me every day. <clears throat> Come on. <laughs> I know you feel a little jealousy right now, brother, but I, I want you to know <clears throat> it's, it's all good. Lord, be a fence. I'll let the other house. You want to do something for July 4th? No, I'll probably choke on a chicken bone. You see, two opposites. So uh, if one of them is a psalm about the reality of death, how can the next door neighbor be a psalm about how God protects us? Because after all, we're all going to die. How can, so stay with me here, stay with me. I want you to, I want you to see something. Yes, Psalms 91 is the most beautiful psalm of protection. In fact, it's such an amazing psalm. I want to tell you a, a one more story about Psalms 91. Um, maybe, I don't know if you have any commentaries, but I have a lot of commentaries. 
And uh, one of the commentaries is called Believer's Bible Commentary, written by William McDonald. Now, if you turn to his commentary, which is his comments <laughs> on Psalms 91, uh, you will see he introduces Psalms 91 by telling of a five-year-old boy who was dying of diphtheria in 1922. Diphtheria is a terrible disease, not so much a modern disease because of modern medicine, but in its day, it killed by literally the millions over its over the story of humanity. Five-year-old boy dying of diphtheria in 1922. His mother had decided she could not look at him, take his last breaths. And so she was with him, but she turned away so she could not see him take his last breath. They expected him to die, uh, the commentator tells us. And so um, there was a knock at the door and um, the little boy's uncle, so the uh, brother-in-law of the mother uh, knocks on the door and when they answer the door, he says to the mother, I've come just to tell you that you don't have to worry about the child. He is going to recover and God is going to save his soul. And it was to be true. The boy did survive. When the mother asked uh, the brother-in-law why he felt so strongly, he said, I was reading Psalms 91 about how the Lord protects us. And the Lord spoke to me to tell you that your son is going to live. And uh, here's the thing. Uh, that little boy did live. And uh, the commentator, William McDonald, uh, says in his commentary, I was the little boy in 1922 who was supposed to die and my uncle came over to tell my mom he had been reading Psalms 91. And God spoke to him and said, I was going to live. And not only that, that God was going to save me. 13 years after this, 18 years old, William McDonald gave his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, went to seminary, gave his whole life to ministry, teaching and Bible scholarship. He introduces Psalms 91 in his commentary by calling it my psalm. That's my psalm. I wonder if there's any scriptures that you lay claim to in your life. And you say, I live it, I claim it, I stand upon that. I know the enemy would like to destroy me, but I stand upon the word of God. I know hell would, would, would end me if it could, but God is a protector in my life. I love this story of protection, but it's right beside a story of the reality of death. So which is it? All right, now, to explain this, let me take you to another passage of Scripture and see if you would not uh, understand the depth of the Scripture. Um, and here it is, Matthew chapter number 4, and uh, Jesus is being taken up by Lucifer, and we'll start reading at verse number 5. Then the devil took Jesus up to Jerusalem, the holy city, he had Jesus stand on the highest part of the house of God. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And now 
the devil is going to the only time in Scripture that the devil quotes Scripture is right here. Now, I know he references in the garden what the Lord had said, but it wasn't Scripture for him to quote. He just references. He does not quote a Scripture. However, here, this moment, Matthew chapter number 4, the devil literally is going to take a chapter and a verse. Are you ready for this? The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. It is written. And then he quotes, he has told his angels to look after you. In their hands, they will hold you up. Then your foot will not hit against a stone. The devil is quoting scripture. What scripture is the devil quoting? Well, he's quoting Psalms 91. If you're really anointed, you aren't going to be hurt by jumping off this temple. And then the devil offers a switch, this switch that's so subtle, if you're not careful, you will miss it. And if I'm not careful, I will miss it. And it goes like this. Jump off and see if God will keep his word. In other words, danger is not a test of me. It's a test of God. And if it doesn't work out the way I want it to, then let's judge God. How does Jesus refute this? He does it instantaneously. He quotes another scripture. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Oh, hear me, somebody. I hope this helps you today. I know it helps me. I want you to see something. There will be trouble ahead. There will be struggle in your life. There will be good testimonies, and there will be testimonies of overcoming setback. At no time is it a test of God. It's always a test of me. Let me say that differently. If I want to sit back and tell God whether or not he's worthy, it's no wonder that I sound like Lucifer when I talk. There's a better way to live, and that is to live this way. If God said it, that settles it. I choose to live as though it is settled forever. So many people, they have something happen in their life, and they quit going to church, and they say, if God was, then why did that happen? I have preached funerals in this church where a family uh, put a young uh, man who uh, died of an overdose. We buried him, and that was the last time a single member from that family, as far as I know, has ever attended this church. They buried their son. They buried their brother, and it broke something in them and they were done because they looked at God. Uh, the pain is real. I'm not trying to be dismissive. By the grace of God, there go I. They looked at God and they said, I am testing you on your protection and you failed the test. It must not be true. The problem here is this is exactly how Lucifer thinks. 
if you'll do for me, then I will serve you. If you will keep me, then I will obey you. If you will protect me, then I will serve. I will listen. I will obey. And you sound just like an unbeliever justifying his or her decisions because you took trouble and made it a test of God's faithfulness, not a test of your faith. Stay with me. We're going somewhere together. And so uh, because Lucifer thinks this way, it creates a certain set of troubles, misunderstandings, and yes, theological confusion in him. Uh, uh, Hell does not understand God. They saw his face, but could not perceive his heart. We can't be guilty of people who we stand in his presence and never see his heart. That's how Lucifer became the devil. He could see the glory of God, but he was blind to the heart of God. And so his view of God was always this kind of transactional theology. You keep, I serve. You give, I give. No give, no give. No keep, no serve. You, God, don't deserve me. Stay with me. How would this create problems in Lucifer's story? First of all, he would struggle to understand believers. Why would you serve God when you can't control God? This would create problems for hell's theology. Why would you be obedient when God isn't at your beck and call? Why would you want to humble yourself and serve rather than elevate yourself and demand? And if this was the case, then it would create a certain set of trouble in Lucifer's heart, and he would find somebody who was serving God for the right reason, and it would confuse him. Uh, This is uh, actually what happened. He came across a man one day who was serving God in an honorable way, and uh, he had a disagreement with God about it, and he said, look, I I know that he's a good guy, but uh, let me tell you, this is a transactional love. This isn't a first principles love from the heart. This isn't I choose you, I commit to you, I dedicate to you. This is, uh, I commit to you, uh, what have you done for me lately? And so if you'll let me take away the stuff in his life, you'll see that he curses you like everyone else. And so you read the story of Job. Remember, I told you it create predictable problems in Lucifer's life. And here is Job. I'm blessed. I'm protected. There's a fence all around me every day. I have been saved, sanctified. I've got a chicken in every pot. I've got a Cadillac in every garage. I'm not the only one with the sense. My kids have got sense. Mm. Pleased. Let me get my hands on that, Lucifer said, and we'll see if he loves you. And the Lord answers the question all for all a time about the nature of divine love from us to God and God to us. And he says, all right, let's settle this. Let's get it as first principles. Let's get this settled. What will Job do? And so Job loses everything. He loses everything, and the devil's like, huh, well, maybe it was a physical comfort that he was needed to, he needed to keep. He needed to... Uh, he needed to have. Let me make him sick. And so that happens. And finally, the people who love Job are mad on Job's behalf. Yeah. 
And the unspoken theology is with friends like this, who needs enemies? My God. If this is God on my side, I'd hate to see God not on my side. But on the other hand, maybe I should try that. Let's, let's do some reverse psychology. Job, just curse your God and die. And what does Job say? He talks to us. He talks to his peers. He talks to his family. And he talks to the devil, though he slay me. Though he slay me, yet I will serve him. Job, this makes absolutely no sense. Agreed to hell, it makes no sense. It's crazy, yes, devil, it makes no sense, it's crazy. But we're trying to make a point about what it means to be a person of faith and to lift our eyes and our hearts heavenward and to know that I am in his hand. He is my keeper, he is my protector. And it's not just a shallow protection. I'm thankful for all of the many times God has protected me. I've seen God protect me when it was so simple and so easy. I almost felt a little bit guilty about it because I knew other people were going through tough times and I didn't want to, you know, make them feel like God was unfair. And I've also gone through some tough times in myself. And if there's one thing I've learned, it goes like this. When God says he will protect you, he will keep his word. However, that protection is not simple or shallow. That protection is deep and eternal. So I want to say to everybody who's going through a tough time right now, you're still protected. It's just not simple. It's deep waters to swim in. You are still held in the hand of God. Yes, you're in the valley of the shadow of death, but God is still invested in you. Don't have a transactional love that's an inch deep and say, well, I don't like this, therefore I don't love. No, see the deep waters I'm going to show you in the scripture. Even if I die, if God's said he was going to keep me, then there's nothing that can touch me. There's nothing that can destroy me because I am kept. Here's what I want you to see. When God protects, he doesn't just protect this body. Yes, you will have many testimonies like we've heard here today of God protecting you. However, there's a chance that you may go through tough times and deep waters, but I want you to know God will still be with you. And you will one day graduate from this life to a better life. You will wade through chilly Jordan and you'll come out on the other side. And then for the first time in your life, you'll understand what real protection is. Now, how can I show this to you in the scripture? How can I give you a sense of God's protection, which is twofold? On one hand, it acknowledges the shortness of human life and the risks of the human story. And at the same time, it celebrates the keeping of protecting power of God. Well, I want to take you back to Matthew chapter number four. And the devil says to Jesus, look, um, if you would settle this issue, it'd be easier for all of us. You know, you are claiming to be the son of God. You are claiming uh, not just to be a rabbi. You are claiming to be the door. You are claiming to be the high priest. You are claiming to be the lamb of God for sinners lane. We could settle this issue in such a way where we didn't have to live in faith. We didn't have to trust. All you have to do is test God rather than letting God test you. You see, Jesus 
grew in wisdom and in knowledge and in favor. There's no way for him to be in all points tempted like as we are if he did not have to stand in faith and trust the word of God. That's why the Bible says he grew in knowledge, he grew in favor, he grew in wisdom. That's why you have the flesh praying to the spirit, the man praying to the eternal father, do you see? That's why that story is given to us in that way. Jesus, you don't have to grow. You don't have to trust. You don't have to have faith. Just settle the issue for all of us. And he says, no, don't tempt God. Trouble's not a test of God. It's a test of me. That's why at Garden of Gethsemane, you find him weeping, uh, great, uh, his sweating great drops of blood, imploring, Father, if there's any other way, let's do it that way. But if not, I surrender myself to your way. This is a story of flesh truly righteously submitted to spirit. And the devil doesn't understand it. So uh, let's take the messianic part of the scripture here, and I'm almost done. Verse number 14, Psalms 91. Remember the text changes from future tense or what God will do to a present tense. First person, 14, because he has loved me, I will bring him out of trouble. But Jesus wasn't brought out of trouble, was he? This is messianic, but he wasn't brought out of trouble, was he? He was betrayed. He was hated by the people he had healed. What's going on here? I'm so confused. The, the word, I will set him in a safe place on high, but he wasn't placed in a safe place on high. He was placed on a cross. Oh, stay with me. Will call upon me, I will answer him. But he did call. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And heaven did not answer. I will be with him in trouble. I will take him out of trouble and honor him with nakedness, with a beaten face and a bloody back, with a cross dying. Before these men who hate me, this, verse 16, I will please him with a long life. Really? 33 and a half years old, he dies. I will please him with a long life, and I will show him my saving power. But he didn't get saved. He could have called 10,000 angels. But he didn't that our sin might be paid for, that by his stripes we might be healed. Now maybe if you will think about it, you see why hell was excited when they killed Jesus. Because they had just theologically proven he was not the one they should worry about. 
After all, if he was the son of God, he would have just called and he would have been saved. If he, oh man, I wish I could preach better than I can preach. If he was the son of God, angels would have showed up and protected him lest he even bump his big toe on a stone. But no, no, no. Instead, they drove nails through his feet. You guys don't know what to do with this message. I'm going to need you to think about it a little while. Because in this moment, you also see why not only was hell having a party of sorts, because this latest prophet turned out to be nothing special, just another corpse to be placed in the ground. You also can see, much to their surprise, when he shows up in the courts of death and hell and the grave, and he says to Lucifer, you have something that I, I'm going to need from you. I'm going to need the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And all the devil can think of is, I thought I killed you. <laughs> you did not fulfill the standard. Let me say it this way, my brother, my sister. When God says life, he's not just talking about 70 or 80 years. And when God says he's going to give you a long life, he's not talking about 70 or 80 years. If you get that confused, then you're going to live with hell's theology. Your best life is not in the here and now. Your best life is in the there and then. Your best life is forever, forever, forever. I'm not tired of saying it. Forever, forever, forever in the presence of God. And when God says he's going to protect you, he's not just talking about a bruise on your arm or a sickness in your body or a disease in your genome. When God says he's going to protect you, it goes like this. It doesn't matter what a disease does. You're mine. It doesn't matter what an accident does. You're my child. It doesn't matter whether the skin worms destroy your body. You are my child. I am your yours forever. Musicians come. The power of Christian testimony is how we deal with fear because there is no part of life that doesn't have fear. You don't stop having fear once you come to church. You just hopefully start being afraid of the right things. I better say that again because I'm laying on some deep theological. You're like, my God, that's too much for July 4th weekend. This is just too much. So when you get in the church, you don't suddenly have all knowledge. And because you don't have all knowledge, guess what? It's natural to be fearful. You don't have all power, so it's natural to be fearful. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You're a creature of time. It's natural to be feel fearful. The difference as a believer is that we organize our fear around the right things. I'm not afraid of someone who can hurt the body in the same manner. I'm afraid of what would destroy my soul. Yes. And so I'm not easily reassured by money. I want to make sure God is knows my name and has written it down on the Lamb's book of life. I'm glad to have some money. It's better to have money than not have money, but that's not what is helping me sleep at night. God knows my name. I still have fears, do you see? But I have the right fears. Unbelievers have the wrong fears. 
there is no place without fear. And that is why the opposite of faith, I, I, you guys have heard me say this, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. Fear gives you doubt for free. <laughs> fear is like institutionalized doubt. <laughs> uh, the opposite of faith is fear. And it is absolutely important for the, for if your testimony is going to stand strong in the people of your life, how you process fear is the strongest amen you can give to your faith. The strongest amen in your life is how you process your fear. Because everybody knows how nervous it can be to have a bump come up some strange place in your body. A lump grow some strange place. Everybody knows how uncertain it is when you have a huge career change and you get laid off. Everybody knows how difficult it is when you have relationship trouble and your marriage is on the rocks. Everybody knows how difficult it is to see your kids grow up and go off to school where there's uh, crazy people abounding and you're worried about your, your kid. Everybody knows how hard life is. But people of faith say, God is going to protect me. God is going to stay with me. Even if I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Don't ever stop praising God for the miraculous in your life. Don't ever stop praising God for when you get deliverance, when you get that kind of a miracle moment. But don't let that be the only thing you praise God about. In everything, give him thanks. In everything, give him thanks. Because if we as believers do not place our fear in the right place, if we do not order our souls, if we do not get our fear right, then we will live with hell's theology, which is God, I'm going to try to manipulate you somehow into giving me what I want. I'm going to try to be good enough where you owe me. I'm going to try in some manner to uh, uh, negotiate something here. But that is not divine love. That's not divine protection. There is no manipulating God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And so, everything that we want this Psalm 91 to be was manifest in the life of Jesus, even the part where someday we die. Examples. They came to kill him, to stone him. What happened when they came to stone him? Miraculously, he moved through the crowd invisibly. Read the story. It's in the Gospels. They came to kill him. They came to stone him. And what happened? God protected him and he moved through. But they also betrayed him. However you want to view protection, it's in the life of Christ. And so we as people of faith, we say, God, I turn to you for protection. Stand with me all across the house. Lift your hands right now in the, in the presence of God. Lord, I turn to you for protection. I want to praise you because you are my protector. I want to praise you because you are my deliverer. Somebody, somebody let that move in your spirit here right now. I want to praise you because you keep me. I want to praise you because you provide for me. 
You are my healer, Lord Jesus. The enemy came to destroy me, but you raised up a standard against the enemy, and I was made safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower that the righteous run into and are safe. Oh, I want to preach to somebody who has been living in fear. Don't let your fear destroy your testimony. God is going to be with you. God is going to keep you. Even in the tough times, God is going to keep you. Even in the struggle, God is going to make you strong. God's going to use your testimony. I need you to get an atmosphere of praise developed in your heart where you say in everything, I'm going to give him thanks. In everything, I'm going to give him praise. Is anyone willing to do that here today? Would you let that begin in your work and your spirit? I want to praise you, oh God. Everything I go through is according to your will. There's nothing that I can face that you have not already provided a way of escape. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. If you feel like you've been paralyzed with fear, over the last uh, season of your life, I want to I want to spray I want to speak some deliverance over you today in Jesus' name. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to be bold right now. If you, if this has been a battle that you have faced, would you just lift your hand wherever you are in the house? There's a, a fair number of you who are living through this right now. Uh, how about over here? A fair number of you living through this battle of fear. I, I want this to be a deliverance service right now. I, I want to have a I want to have a deliverance service. Uh, from that crushing fear. Why is fear so bad? It's not just testimony that it hurts. It destroys our spiritual productivity. Some of you have talents that are hidden because you're dealing with fear. You have potential that you are limiting because you're dealing with fear. We're about to have a deliverance service here right now. So I'm going to ask those of you who will, I don't, I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to force you, but those of you who will, I want you to step out into the aisle and I want to have some other people of faith come near you and put a hand on your shoulder. I want them to speak the name of Jesus. If you want to come down close to the front, step out right now and come down uh, close to the front. We want to pray. We want to speak the name of Jesus against this creeping, binding oppression of fearfulness that limits that hinders, that destroys. That's right. Come on. I'm going to take a moment more. Right now, this is your chance. Now, church, I'd like those of you who have a testimony in your life of having to deal with fear, I'd like you to step out and find somebody, some of these who are in the aisle right now. Uh, some of you ladies, I'd like you to find a lady. Uh, some of you men, come down here. Maybe pray for uh, a couple of these men that are down here. I want us to turn this whole house into a deliverance moment where we speak deliverance from crushing fear in our life. I need, I need some people of faith right now to let your faith join with ours. Step out to somebody. Send a hand towards somebody right now. We're going to pray all across the church house in Jesus' name. Lord, we are believing together that you would be a deliverance to the crushing fear. You would give deliverance to the crushing fear that exists in our life, that hurts and harms. Church, find someone right now to pray with.
First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.